0: Hey everybody, thanks again for joining us for our SCF online worship gathering today. Uh, We're gonna jump right into our teaching time and uh, we're gonna pick right up where we left off last week. So here is 1 Corinthians 13, verse four. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Uh, Very quickly, that Greek word that is translated boastful has the idea of boasting in the things that a person has. This is a show-off. This is a braggart. And so last week, we used the image of a peacock poofing its feathers to uh, illustrate uh, being boastful. And so love is not jealous or boastful or proud, in the greek word that is translated proud speaks of uh, of an egotistical inflated kind of arrogant way that we think about ourselves so being boastful that's that's external that's putting on a display that's poofing your peacock feathers pride is internal it's thinking it's believing that you really are the peacock so boastful is External, boastful is look at me. Pride is internal, this is my thinking. I've come to believe my own feather-poofing display. And both boastfulness and pride block the flow of love. So boastfulness is me poofing my achievements so that I can get something from you. This is uh, me displaying my achievements so that you validate me, so that you um, recognize me, so that you affirm me, so that you compliment me, uh, so that you give me a morsel of worth. See, if I'm living from a place of emptiness in some area of my life where I'm not getting my full worth from Jesus, well, then I'm gonna try and get it from you. I'm going to try and get my worth from you. And boastfulness and pride both block the flow of love because I cannot ascribe unsurpassable worth to you, which is what love is, while I'm trying to get worth from you. Ascribing worth to someone and getting worth from someone are mutually exclusive. You can't do both at the same time. Well, what about this, uh, this pernicious and insidious religious pride that we talked about last week? Do I have any room to boast before God? Well, if this was a courtroom drama, somebody would stand up and say, asked and answered. Uh, Paul, uh, in Romans 3.27, asked and answered that question. Can we boast then? that we have done anything to be accepted by God. And his answer is a rather emphatic no. I want you to remember that verse. We're going to come back to that in a, in a few minutes. Uh, Paul also says in Second Corinthians, or our Ephesians rather, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, God saved you by his grace and grace means undeserved or unmerited favor. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And so Paul basically says, you want to, you want to boast, uh, boast about Jesus. You want, to, um, you want to poof up some feathers, poof up Jesus, put him on display. Um, I have no feathers to poof up before God, but you know what? Here's the closest I could possibly get to uh, poofing my own peacock feathers. I was a selfish kid. I was lost, uh, heading into a meaningless life in a meaningless eternity, and God reached down and he saved me by his grace, gave me new life in Jesus. And then after a few years, I opted to detour and uh, to head into a life of drugs and partying. And God in his grace pulled me from that and made me a preacher for goodness sakes. And then I royally screwed that up and God in his grace reclaimed me off of that shelf where we put useless things and broken things. And he blessed me and he blessed me with an amazing wife. And here I am preaching again, serving alongside all of you. And I am the last person on the face of the earth who deserves any of that. It is only because of the outrageous and ridiculous, reckless love and grace of God. And it's not a... um, It's not like a once upon a time kind of thing. Once upon a time, I wasn't perfect, but now I am perfect. Once upon a time, I uh, wasn't qualified to be a pastor, but now I am qualified to be a pastor because I'm perfect. Uh, No, let me be brutally honest. I would never want to tell you some of the things that go on in my head. I am a anti-Pharisee Pharisee. -Pharisee. I am a judger of judgers. I don't always practice what I preach. There are things about me that I discover about myself as I grow up in Christ, things I discover about myself that I don't like. There's anger in here. There's judgment and intolerance and arrogance. I don't love enough. I don't pray enough. I don't do enough good. I do too much wrong. And so I teach today and I preach today, definitely not on my own merits. I could never preach or teach based on my own credentials. It is only, only because of the grace of Jesus. And you know, if I was sitting in your living room or your family room with you today, instead of engaging uh, through the camera, if I was sitting with you, you could share with me similarly. Your story would have different details and you might identify different struggles than, than I identified with. You know, there's uh, many flavors of carnal ice cream, but it's still carnal ice cream. And so maybe you struggle uh, in maybe in the area of addiction or with being unkind or struggle with gluttony or something. All of us don't love God enough, but God has compassion on us. God is rich in grace. God has forgiven us in Christ. He's in the process of transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus by changing the way that we think. And sometimes that transformation happens quickly and sometimes it happens very slowly and sometimes we take a couple of steps backwards, but God is persistent and God is gracious. I am not now what I once was. And by God's grace, I will not be what I am now, by uh, His grace. There's no room to boast. There is no room to brag. There's no room to judge. There's no room to throw the first stone. All we can do is say, thank you, Jesus, for being gracious toward me. So you wanna boast? Paul says, boast in Jesus. You want to you poof up some feathers, uh, poof up Jesus, put him on display. And when you put Jesus on display, you are empowered and freed to love others. And so Paul has already told us that love does not envy. You cannot ascribe unsurpassable worth to someone while you are at the same time competing with them for worth. And Paul says love doesn't look like boastfulness or pride. You cannot ascribe unsurpassable worth to someone while you are at the same time trying to get worth from them. Envy and arrogance and pride and boastfulness block the flow of love toward others. And so when I'm living from a place of emptiness rather than a place of fullness, when I'm living out of a a desperation rather than celebration, when I'm living from a place of wanting to get rather than from a place where I wanna overflow, when I'm living from a place of being self-sufficient rather than God-dependent, when I'm an anti-Pharisee-Pharisee, when I'm a judger of judgers, when I'm walking after the flesh rather than walking after the spirit, well, the flow of God's love through me to others is blocked. But when we live from a place of fullness, a place of celebration, a place of overflow, a place of dependence upon God, a place where all of my core longings are being fully and perfectly met by God in Christ, well, then I'm free to love others. I'm free to ascribe worth to others. And so the truth uh, that we're embracing here really is this. There is no room to boast before God. And all glory, all glory be to Christ. That's the truth that we're embracing. Now, with every truth, we need to um, aspire to be balanced. And I guess what I'm saying, with every truth, there's the potential to veer off to the left or to veer off to the right into extremes that can be imbalanced and uh, perhaps even unhealthy. And so what I want to do today for the remainder of our time is identify a couple of extremes uh, that we can kind of veer off to that are, again, imbalanced and uh, can be unhealthy. So first, there is this extreme that people might want to push to because um, you know, because of the amazing grace of God, because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, because we have nothing to boast in, because uh, we boast only in Jesus Christ, so some people then think that it is their job to make themselves as uh, lowly and as self-loathing as uh, possible and as miserable as possible. Sometimes this is called uh, worm theology. This is extreme number one, worm theology. Now, this isn't as prevalent as it used to be, I think, uh, but there still can be a tendency uh, toward this. So. Uh, Worm theology is where you think that you are glorifying God by becoming as self-loathing as possible. I am a worm. There is nothing good about me. I am a snail. No, I am snail scum. I'm that little trail of scum that is left by the snail as the snail uh, slowly creeps on by. I am a worm. And not just a worm, I am worm excrement. I am horrible, but God is great. That's worm theology. And obviously I'm overstating it to, uh, to make the point. Uh, so worm theology, and, and um, for those who are, uh, who, who can tend to be prone to veer off into that extreme, um, I think their hearts are in the right place, but I don't think they're going about it the right way. There was a preacher, uh, an American preacher in the 1700s by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And um, he is most famously remembered for one sermon that he preached, a sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, actually, I don't really care for the sermon. I think it kind of paints a picture of God that is a little bit unlike what Jesus looks like. And of course, Jesus is the exact representation of God. Um, And interestingly, this is an aside, but uh, sometime soon after that sermon, um, uh, Edwards really um, kind of changed gears in terms of his ministry. He basically said, you know, I think we've spent too much time and emphasized this anger of God, this uh, angry, wrathful God. And then for the rest of his ministry, he really focused on the beauty of God and just wrote and taught and preached some amazing, amazing things. But unfortunately, he's best remembered for this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And in that sermon, he said, and I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing here, this isn't an exact quote, but he said, um, human beings are disgusting and loathsome spiders that are... um, dangling from a thin thread over a fire and God is deciding whether he wants to cut that thread or not. Now, it is true that all of us um, have done some loathsome things. That is absolutely true. But on the other hand, you are made in the image and likeness of God. And yeah, we've done a good job of messing that image up, with our sin. That image of God in us is marred by our sin, but it's still the case that we are made in His image. Now, if I were an artist, and I'm not, but if I were, and if I were to uh, paint a picture in my own image, or maybe to make a sculpture in my own image, and then you came along and looked at it and said, hmm, snail scum. That is as gross and as bad as it possibly can be. That is worm excrement. You you really aren't complimenting me as the artist very much, right? And so I think there is a false humility or a misplaced humility in this idea of worm theology, this self-deprecating message about ourselves. It's not complimenting God. It's not complimentary to God as the artist who made us in his image and likeness. And to be self-deprecating, therefore, is to be deprecating of others who are also made in the image of God. It's not complimentary to God. I think it's absolutely okay and, and good to like yourself, to love yourself. You know, the Bible says to Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the Bible speaks about a, uh, a healthy kind of self-love. It's not, it's not about trying to get worth by poofing your peacock feathers. You know, sometimes um, when we see somebody who is boastful and uh, proud and poofing their feathers, sometimes we say, oh, that person is so full of themselves. Well, actually, the more astute observation would be to say that person is empty. There's a void, there's a vacuum, and uh, they're trying to fill it. You see, if we're filled with God's love, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that's all wrapped up as part of loving God. And so it's okay to say, you know what? I like the way God made me. It's okay to say, I like this about myself, or I'm gifted in that area, or I'm smart in this area, or I've got a personality that can reach people in, in this area, or to say, you know, I've got gifts. Um, that's okay to say, like don't do it to get worth, but do it as a way of saying thank you to God. And this is even more so when we realize uh, who we are in Jesus. So the Bible says that no one can love God and hate their neighbor. And the Bible says that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, if you put those two thoughts side by each and do the math on it, no one can consistently say, I love God and I hate myself. See, if you love God, you're gonna love yourself. And if you love God, you're gonna love your neighbor as you love yourself. And there, you know, there's that triangle we talked about last week, that triangular uh, love of God that's replicated in us, uh, God, me, neighbor, and so on. You know, I like who I am in Jesus Christ. I love Jesus, and I love what he is making me to become. And there's nothing wrong with that. I am a child of God. I like that about myself. I don't always live that out. I don't always feel that. Um, I don't often reflect that. I don't always reflect that well in terms of my, um, my behavior and my attitudes. But in terms of my identity in Jesus, I like it. I like the fact that God has made me righteous in Christ. I like that about myself. I like the fact that Jesus has cleaned house and he's moved in and he's made me brand new at the core. I like that about myself. I like that the spirit of Jesus is living in me. I like that about myself. I love that God loves me and that that frees me and empowers me to to love you and to like who you are in Jesus. And there again is that triangular love of God that glorifies God, God, me, you, uh, that loving triangle. I like the fact that I'm raised with Christ. I like the fact that I'm uh, seated with Jesus in heavenly places. I, I like that about myself. I like the fact that I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. I like the fact that I am in Christ. I like that about myself. And I like the fact that Christ is in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I like that. I like the fact that My life is hidden with Christ in God. I like that about myself. I really like that God sees me as the drop dead, gorgeous, radiant bride of Christ. And you too, he sees you that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we're supposed to affirm that. Christ died for that. This is not competing with God. This is exalting God because you enjoy who you are in God. Now, to be clear, in and of myself, I deserve absolutely nothing from God. I have no peacock feathers to poof uh, before God whatsoever. But in Jesus, well, that changes everything. And we're to enjoy that and celebrate that. Poofing who I am in Jesus, that's not trying to suction up worth. That's That's displaying um, who God has made me to be. I love God and now I love you as I love myself. And there again is that triangular um, dance of love that glorifies God. And so one extreme to avoid is self-loathing worm theology. I think that's an extreme that's imbalanced and uh, unhealthy. A second extreme, is this, that as we uh, are to give God all the glory, and we should, and as we boast in God alone, as we should, that this means that uh, we can therefore give people no credit whatsoever, no credit for anything. Um, In November of 2017, I was serving our daughter church, Blue Water Church in Kincardine. And uh, at that time, our leadership group decided that God was calling us to um, acquire our own ministry space. Up until that time, we were just doing everything out of one room that we rented for just three hours a week. And so we felt like God wanted us to have our own ministry space that we had access to 24-7. We felt like we could serve more people better. We felt very strongly that this ministry space needed to be in downtown Kincartan, ideally on the main street, a storefront space, highly accessible and highly visible. We felt like God was calling us to a step of faith where we would make a three-year commitment um, to this space to be Downtown, and we felt at that time that it would be most prudent for us and most honoring to God if we were to um, have uh, in hand the entirety of what that three-year lease uh, would cost, and we estimated the cost to be about fifty thousand dollars. And so, uh, by this time, we're as we're thinking through all this stuff. It's it's December twenty seventeen, and so we have. Uh, you know this question in our in our small blue water group: Can we raise fifty thousand dollars in the next two to three weeks? We didn't have a campaign. We didn't have um, a real program to be able to do this. It was just, hey, can can we do this? Daunting task to be able to raise fifty thousand dollars in cash in very short order. Well, long story short, by the time uh, Christmas 2017 rolled around, we had $55,000 in cash. And so we um, got our downtown ministry space and uh, the church in Bluewater continues to use that same space today. I remember shortly after that, having a phone conversation with somebody who was inquiring about our church. It was a Christian man. And, um, I was telling some of the stuff about our church and I was telling this uh, this December 2017 fundraising story. And, and I said, you know, I'm just so proud of our church family and how we pulled together to, to accomplish that goal. And he said to me on the phone, whoa, whoa, whoa. Be very, very careful. God is a jealous God. He wants all the glory and what you should be doing is giving the glory to God and there's no room to be proud and there's no room to share credit with people. And in that moment on the phone, I, I was like stunned. And I felt like, you know, the dog that had been wrapped on the nose with the rolled up newspaper. And I was like, oh, uh, of, of course, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's right. And uh, our phone call ended quite, soon after that, and uh, you know, like 90 seconds after we hung up, I'm thinking to myself, no, right? Doesn't that always happen? You You have the perfect comeback like 90 seconds too late. And I was thinking to myself, no, when the Bible says that God gets all the glory, when the Bible says that God is a jealous God, it means he doesn't want any competitors as God. He doesn't want anyone or anything being treated like God. For one thing, he knows how harmful it is for us to have idols. Don't glorify anything like God. Don't glorify anything next to God. Glorify only God. But if I am, you know, if I'm thanking you for doing something, I'm not calling you God. I can be thankful for you and I can express thankfulness to you, but I'm not going to glorify you like I would glorify God. But I still want to genuinely thank you. You see, we are co-laborers together in this thing of kingdom building. We are co-laborers together, and God says that we are co-laborers together with Him. That means we've got real responsibilities. That means we're doing meaningful and important work And so we work together with God to get his will done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got real responsibilities. And God really does depend on us to to, um, line up our will with his will so that his will can get done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I think God can be working um, and and, um, tugging on people's hearts and pulling people to himself, but if we say no to cooperating with him, nothing's gonna happen. God could have wanted us in Concordia to have a ministry space, but if we said no to being co-laborers together with God, if we said no to cooperating with God, it wouldn't have happened. We have real responsibility. And so when people carry through on that responsibility, it's very appropriate to say thank you. Thank you for obeying God. And I believe there's even a proper sense in which you can be proud of what people do. Not that we're suctioning up after morsels of worth, but proud of what we've done and and proud of what we're doing. The Apostle Paul said it this way. This is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. He said, I have the highest confidence in you. I said, Paul, are you sure? You're supposed to have the highest confidence in people. And I take great pride in you. Ooh, Paul, you sure you're supposed to be proud? <laughs> Thought that was a bad thing. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. Pride, I take pride in you. Well, here's, here's a verse that uh, we, we did look at a little bit earlier, Romans 3.27. This is that asked and answered uh, verse. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? And Paul answers that question with an emphatic, no. One thing that I think is uh, interesting and noteworthy is that the Greek word that is translated boast in the Romans 3 verse is identical to the Greek word that is translated pride in the 2 Corinthians 7 verse. And so there's this Greek word that has the idea of pride and boasting that Paul uses, but he uses it in two different ways. He uses it in a negative way. He uses it in a positive way. And as Paul uses this word, like in in Romans 3, for instance, he uses that in the negative uh, sense, and it's a boastfulness about the achievements of self. But when he uses that same word in a positive way, like he does in the 2 Corinthians 7 verse, he's talking about you know boasting about the achievements of God. And so it's as if Paul is, is letting us know that this thing of pride, this thing of boastfulness is not always wrong. Um, it depends what you're proud of. It depends what you're boasting about. It can be negative or it can be positive. How do we tell the difference? Well, context uh, helps us to determine that. So here in this 2 Corinthians 7 passage, Paul's saying, I take great pride in you. This is not Paul suctioning after morsels of worth. This is not Paul somehow poofing his feathers and say, ooh, look at me and look at what a great church I've built. No, this is Paul just basically saying, you know what, Corinthians, I really appreciate you. Where your hearts are lining up with God's will, I'm so thankful for that and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you that you're obeying God. I'm proud of how you're taking up those responsibilities as co-labors together with each other and with God. And Paul says it, you know, it, it encourages me. It, it makes me happy, he says. It's as if Paul says, you know, on, on those days when I'm feeling kind of down and life is kind of piling up around me, well, I think about you, Corinthians, and it, and it just kind of makes my day, makes me happy. And uh, I'm proud of you, right? I, I think that's a great attitude. Well, look, and look at this example too. So this is 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter one. So Paul is talking about the, uh, the believers in the church in Thessalonica. He says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast Sure, it's okay to boast, Paul. We boast about your perseverance in faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. And uh, notice this. Here's another verse that we've already looked at today. Ephesians 2, verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Greek word that Paul uses that is translated boast in the Ephesians 2 verse is the very same Greek word that is translated boast in the 2 Thessalonians 1 passage. So again, there's a word that Paul uses both uh, negatively and positively. He uses it negatively in the Ephesians 2 verse. To speak of self-confidence. He uses it positively in the 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 verse, um, to speak of a God-inspired confidence. And so in this 2 Thessalonians 1 verse, he's basically saying, hey, uh, we boast about you guys to all the other churches because of your steadfastness and because of your faith. Paul's saying you're so steadfast. Even when you're facing persecution, you're so steadfast and faithful and you're setting such a good example and and you're such a, a wonderful model. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for your steadfastness and your faithfulness. And it's as if Paul says, um, hey, Thessalonians, by the way, if Jesus weren't real and powerful, um, you'd you'd never be able to be steadfast. You'd never be faithful when persecuted for his sake. So all the glory goes to Jesus, but thank you for yielding to God. We're proud of you. You see, God is not threatened when people are thanked and when people are Uh, given credit. He's not threatened when people receive thanks and when people receive credit. He's not threatened when we're proud of each other's accomplishments in this divine human cooperative where we're co-labors together with him. Saying thanks to people doesn't compete with the fact that he is God and we are not. Over the next uh, week or two, you're going to see some of the stories Um, coming out that were part of our uh, Random Acts Friday that we had just a little over a week ago. And, you know, one could ask the question, hmm, you know, you're asking people to do publicly random acts of kindness, and then you're asking them to tell the stories about it. Is that boasting? Um, And if it is boasting, is it the good kind of boasting or is it the not so good kind of boasting? And I guess the answer to that question is, it depends. If we tell the stories from a place of emptiness where we're poofing our own works and our own deeds to try and get worth and validation from others, well, that's the not so good kind of boasting. And Paul has already told us in 1 Corinthians 13 that it is possible to do something good and to do it without love. And if you do that good thing without love, it's worthless in terms of building the kingdom. But if we engage in acts of kindness from a place of fullness, ascribing worth to others rather than trying to get worth from them, and if we tell those stories from a place of fullness, poofing the feathers of Jesus and drawing attention to him, well, I would say that's the good kind of boasting. I would say that follows the example of Paul. You know, I didn't always see it that way. There was a time early on in my ministry. I would say that um, I was of the opinion that all acts of kindness should be done in secret, not in public. And I don't think anybody particularly taught me that. Uh, I think that was kind of a conclusion that I came to uh, on my own at that point in my ministry. And uh, you know, I would say, you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter six and verse one, Sermon on the Mount that he said, don't do your good deeds publicly. And that is exactly what Jesus said. Don't do your good deeds publicly. It seems like Jesus is giving this prohibition against doing good deeds um, publicly. But we need to read the rest of the sentence that Jesus said. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. In other words, Jesus says, don't do your good deeds from a place of emptiness trying to get worth from people. That's the prohibition. Do your good works publicly by all means. Just don't do it to try and get worth from people. And in that Matthew 6 passage, Jesus says the same thing about uh, prayer. He says the same thing about giving, says the same thing about fasting. You know, and if you went uh, to to the chapter before, Still in this same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five and verse 16, Jesus said these words, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. You know, um, we're pretty familiar with Hebrews 10, 25. We quote that, uh, you know, reasonably often. And it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So when you get together, encourage one another, and notice that the root of encourage is courage. So when you meet together, inspire courage in each other. Now, why would this group of Jewish Jesus followers in the first century need courage while they're living uh, in a very hostile culture with um, uh, persecution, And uh, so they needed to be inspired uh, to be courageous. And so how, how did they do that? Well, if you looked at the preceding verse, which we don't quote nearly as often, it goes like this, this is verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. In other words, let's be really creative, let's be really imaginative in how we motivate one another to engage in acts of love and in good works. That word good is the Greek word "kalos." It has the idea of noble, beautiful, winsome, appealing works. And so we motivate each other to do that. And then, next verse, as we get together, we encourage, we inspire courage in one another. How? By telling those stories of the acts of love and of the good works to inspire one another, to live boldly for Christ in the midst of a very hostile culture. Well, I've, I've probably gone over time. I haven't checked my watch, but uh, it, it feels that way. So don't, uh, don't, don't turn off yet. Uh, let's land the plane. I wanna tell you just uh, very, very briefly about an assignment that I gave uh, three of our staff members this week, uh, Jenna and Ken and Dave. I gave them an assignment, which quite frankly, they didn't like, and I'll tell you why. So the assignment was this. I want you three to each think of two people, two SCF people that you are proud of and that you are thankful for. And I want you to name two people. And they didn't like that because each of them said, well, there's way more than two. I can't just limit it to two. There's so many other people. And I said, that's okay. I said, just two. I said, I'll make sure the audience, you, uh, know that that exercise is merely representative of the longer list of people, but I want you to give me two, First two that kind of come to the top of your head, just give me those two. And so they did. And I said, what I want you to do is I want you to record a little video. I want you to uh, name those people, tell them that you're proud of them, tell them that you're thankful for them, and why. Well, here's what it looks like. Jordan, I'm thankful for you and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you and how you enhance every class that you serve in. You see ways to help without even being asked and your excitement is contagious.
1: Jordan, thank you for serving Jesus, but all glory be to Christ. Ruth Dittmer, I'm thankful for you and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you and how you love people. You're always taking meals and writing cards and helping in
0: so many ways to make sure people are loved and cared for. Ruth. Thank you for serving Jesus, but all glory be to Christ. Tim Hawley, I am thankful for you and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you because you have so much happening in your brain that makes all of the tech ministry happen for our gatherings, both in person and online. And without you, I'm not sure how I uh, would be able to do any of the things that I do. So Tim, thank you for serving Jesus, but all glory goes to Christ. Becca, I'm thankful for you and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of how you make every child in your class feel welcomed and loved. You make sure no one feels left out and you serve with such joy. Becca, thank you for serving Jesus, but all glory be to Christ.
1: Tasha Holmes, I'm thankful for you and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you and how you work so hard
0: to make people feel welcome and accepted as they enter our church each week. I'm so proud of you and the steps you've taken to follow Jesus in your life. Tasha, thank you for serving Jesus, but all glory be to Christ. Nicole Nickerson, I am thankful for you and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you because of all the things that you do in behind the scenes and in front of our students to make things awesome for our student ministry. It, it really makes things happen. So Nicole, thank you for serving Jesus, but all the glory goes to Christ. And so there, our staff thank uh, six people in very short order. And again, those six are merely representative of a whole bunch of people that they would love to express their pride in and their thankfulness for. And it's really just, uh, I think they did that in-, in seconds, really. And I think, you know, for us to. To engage similarly is not some kind of big to-do that we've got to add to our list of to-dos. It's just something that can be very natural and doesn't take a lot of time. To thank people, to let them know that you're proud of them, but give the glory to God. You know, Let's be proud of what we've done together. Let's be proud of what we are doing together, but give glory to God. You know, here's the truth. When it comes to this thing of kingdom building, God could have done the whole thing himself. He didn't need us, but by his grace, he invites us in to participate with him as co-laborers together with him. And so this allows us, he allows us to have meaningful, Input and and to engage in meaningful and important work. And we get to um, make meaningful contributions and to invest ourselves and to invest our stuff and to invest our money, really in eternity changing ventures. Now, were it not for God, that would not be possible. And so we say, praise God. Don't wait for the funeral to give the flowers. Don't wait for someone to die before you eulogize them. Give them the flowers while they're alive. Eulogize them while they're alive and in so doing, ascribe worth to them. That's that's what Paul does. That's his example, and it's a good one. And of course, we, we affirm, we affirm that it's God alone who changes hearts. It's God alone who changes lives. It's God alone who animates us and motivates us from within. It's God alone who saves. It's God alone who transforms. It's Jesus alone who died and forgives us and and, uh, cleanses us and makes us new at the core. It's, It's his spirit that's in us. It's his power that flows through us. It's his love that's all over us. And so to Jesus be all the glory forever and forever. All the glory goes to Jesus and to no other. He is king of kings. He is Lord of Lords. It's His name that is above every other name. It's to Him that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord and only Him. And so all of our praise is to Him. Very quickly as I close, I wanna, I wanna tell you about four people that I'm really proud of and thankful for. Two couples, two SCF couples. One is Paul and Peggy Bevan. And the other is Wayne and Reenie Wilson. Let me tell you why. Paul and Peggy, um, I am really proud of them and I'm thankful uh, for them. They've said yes to, a, to taking on a staff level role here at SCF, part-time and voluntary, uh, but they've said yes to taking on a staff role, giving leadership to our small group ministry. And similarly, Wayne and Reney have said yes to to following Jesus, saying yes to a staff level role here at SCF, voluntary and part-time to give leadership to our caring ministry. And uh, Paul and Peggy and Wayne and Reini, I'm thankful to you. I'm proud of you. I have the highest confidence in you. Thank you for your obedience to the call of Jesus. But all glory be to Christ. Well, we're finished. Um, You know, at this point, I would often uh, pray. But today, let's sing our prayer instead. We're going to sing a song. You've maybe not sung it before, but I know you definitely know the melody. And uh, so let's sing together, all glory be to Christ.
1: Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, it's builder's strife To you who boast tomorrow's gain, Tell me what is your light A mist that vanishes at dawn All glory be to Christ Huh? i yeah. yeah. yeah.